Good morning. I'm Andy. Haven't seen some of you since last year. It's good to be here, and I'm I'm the pastor here. And uh, uh, last weekend, um, I brought a team down to Iowa, and uh, we led worship at a at a uh, high school conference. Super fun, super lively, and and God was at work in uh, many. Uh, there, I think there was four or five students who gave their lives to Christ. Um, and so it was just a, a really special weekend to get to be part of. Shout out to my boy Pete, wherever he went. Where's he at? Okay. Uh, for uh, covering the bases while I was gone. Uh, talking about uh, what it meant for us as followers of Jesus to abide in Christ, to remain connected to that vine. And then um, through that, knowing God and, and following him, bearing fruit, their evidence in our lives. And so I was encouraged as I got to, to listen to that this week. We're going to kind of piggyback on that and keep going with it. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to follow him? And a real quick plug before we jump in. Um, in the LSC update, it talks a little bit about our membership class, which we're going to be starting uh, in the month of February. If you're interested in being a part of that, I'm going to be leading that along with a couple of the elders. It'll happen um, right after our worship gatherings on Sunday morning during the month of February, at least three of the Sundays in February. If you come to the class and you learn what you want to learn and you're like, you know what, I'm not ready to be a member. That's totally cool. If you're just kind of kicking the tires of it and, and you know, interested, we'd just love for you to come check it out. There's no commitment from just showing up to the class. So, all right, Matthew 5, 6 says this. Blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied or they shall be filled. When we find ourselves hungering and thirsting for righteousness, God's word says that we are blessed and that we can find satisfaction in him. So my question for us this morning is this, do you, do I, hunger and thirst for righteousness? This is from an article called The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy talking about knowing God's word and why we know God's word. And this is what it says. While America's evangelical Christians are rightly concerned about the secular worldview's rejection of biblical Christianity, we ought to give some urgent attention to a problem much closer to home, biblical illiteracy in the church. This scandalous problem is our own, and it's up to us to fix it. Researchers George Gallup and Jim Costelli put the problem squarely. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. How bad is it? Researchers tell us that it's worse than most could imagine. Fewer than half of all adults can name four of the Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. And according to data from the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time. They don't know what they are, said George Barna. The bottom line, increasingly, America is biblically illiterate. Christians who lack biblical knowledge are the products of churches that marginalize biblical knowledge. Bible teaching now often accounts for only a diminishing fraction of the local congregation's time and attention. The move to small group ministry has certainly increased opportunities for fellowship, but many of these groups never get beyond superficial Bible study. Pastors and churches too busy or too distracted to make biblical knowledge a central aim of ministry will produce believers who simply do not know enough to be faithful disciples. 
May that not be said of Living Stones Church. Hmm. Simply put, many Christians, many Christians like the idea of reading the Bible more than actually reading the Bible. I don't know if you can relate to that. I know I certainly can in different, different pockets of my life as a follower of Jesus. So why do we read the Bible? Today I'm going to give you three reasons, okay? Don't put them up on the, on the screen yet, Shane. We're going we're gonna to pray and then we'll jump into these three reasons why we, as followers of Christ, should read the Bible. Lord God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for just our time together as we as we come to you, we do want to revere your word. We want to revere and honor you, uh, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would open our hearts as Michael prayed and open our eyes to see and to hear and receive uh, what you have for us this morning through your word for your glory so that we may be more like you, our Savior and our Lord. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right. So I'm going to give you the three reasons up front. So if you're taking notes, you can put all three of these in your notes right away. The three reasons why we read the Bible. And this is all under the heading of kind of what Pete talked about last week, reading the Bible to just know God, to get to know him, to build that relationship. So these are my three for today. A renewed mind, a transformed heart, and an equipped life. So I'm going to give us three scriptures today that we're going to break down with each of these purposes for why we read the Bible. And then we're going to have some, hopefully, some really practical takeaways for us um, as individuals and as a church. So let's jump into this first verse, Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2. If, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, you can. We're going to be hopping around to three verses. Um, I would encourage you to underline this or to highlight this in your Bible. This is one of my all-time favorite verses. It says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, when you do that, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many times have you said, or you hear someone say, man, I really wish I just knew God's will for my life. This is the verse I always go to. You want to know God's will for your life? Well, first, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word of God, in scripture. And when we do this and we, we use this as the lens through which we view our lives in every circumstance that we come up against, the Bible um, provides clarity. It provides guidance for us on uh, how we are to conduct ourselves, on, on the perspective that we are to have when um, we are confronted with a different situation or this or that. It's all in the word of God. Then when we know that, we can then test and approve what God's will is. We can see how it stacks up against the Bible. Maybe a, an idea or a hope I have, I can say, all right, God, is this your will? Is this align with the word of God? Super useful tool for that. Check out the first couple lines. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's so easy for us in our day, in our age, to conform to the pattern of the world, to look like talk like, act like, prioritize like our world or our culture tells us to, and for us to, to blend in in that way. In some ways, it's inevitable, right? And in other ways, things that are contrary to the word of God, how do we not conform? Well, we need to be transformed by renewing our mind. That's my first one. Second one, you can go to Hebrews 
4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Transformed heart. I remember memorizing this verse as a little guy because we were at my, my grandparents' house and uh, my mom's youngest brother, my Uncle Brett, he still lived at home and he had a PlayStation. And we thought PlayStation was the coolest. And my dad said, hey, you guys need to stop playing NCAA basketball, which was not that great of a game looking back at it. Uh, and you need, to, I'm going to have you guys memorize a Bible verse before you can play again. And this is, this is the verse that he had us memorize. And I haven't forgotten. And I was probably, you know, second or third grade. Hebrews 4.12. But I'm going to put up a different version on the screen because there's a couple words that stick out to me in here that I want you guys um, to be reminded of and encouraged by today. This is talking about the word of the Lord. It says this, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions. The verse I memorized said attitudes, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, the word here that I want to narrow in on a little bit is the word sword. Okay, when I was a little guy memorizing this verse, I always just pictured this, like this huge sword, right? And it was going to like, the word of God is like this giant sword that, that we're going to, like it's going to be used to discern, help us discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart. But really the word that's used here um, is, it's called, it's mahara. And it's a Greek word, and it's almost like a fillet knife or a, a dagger. And so I brought with me today this. This was my grandpa's fillet knife that he gave to Owen um, a couple years ago. And what's the purpose of a fillet knife, fisherman? What do we use this for? Yeah, butchering. We are, <laughs> we are separating the good from the bad. We are separating the usable parts from the unusable parts um, so that we can get the most nutrients out of it or that we can have the most enjoyable um, parts of that fish or whatever it is that we are slicing up. And this is the word that is used to describe the word of God in the scripture. It's a precision tool, all right? It's not a giant sword that's going to go lop some limb off, right? It's precision. And I love how one commentator put it. He says, the sword is said to separate the joints and marrow, a reference to tendons ligaments, and other meaty parts. The, these tissues are often hidden away, hard to reach, and seemingly indistinguishable. A, a sharp blade, such as the makara, can uncover and separate these things. In the same way, the Word of God can even separate spiritual things which seem to us completely intertwined, such as the soul and spirit. This is not meant to be literal, as the Bible often uses these terms interchangeably, but rather this is a graphic explanation of how completely God's word can distinguish between the godly and the ungodly. To man, the soul and spirit seem indistinguishable, indistinguishable, but the word of God can metaphorically even discern between these. This incredible cutting power of scripture is therefore a tool to separate our very thoughts into good and evil. And he ends with this. He says, The Bible provides everything we need to know the difference between truly selfless spiritual deeds and acts which are actually selfish and ungodly. 
Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees describes how outwardly pious behavior itself is not always obedience. It is possible to read the word and yet fail to follow God's will due to rebellion or pride. So as we read the Bible, do we have that renewed mind? Are we going to the word of God to to receive a renewed mind? Are we going to the word of God to help us discern the intentions and the thoughts of our hearts so that we may have a transformed heart? Now, all this that I've said so far, um, there is, we have our job to do. We have our responsibility to be disciplined in that. And then God has his job. God There's certain things here, obviously, a transformation of the heart. Only God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can do that in your life or in my life. But when we put ourselves in these situations and we're asking the Lord to transform us, he does that and he promises to do that through his word. Thirdly, an equipped life. Does anybody ever feel unequipped for life? Come on. Just me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Man, there's situations that I walk in and I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm not so sure what to do. Sometimes those are relational things, um, whether it's in family or friend, friend groups or, um, and sometimes they're in spiritual things, right? But I want to live an equipped life. I want to be in a position where I can say before the Lord, Lord, I don't know all the answers. I'm not sure what to do. So I'm going to come to you and come under your lordship and ask that you guide me, ask that you give me wisdom, that you equip me, and that you put people around me. May we never be too prideful to ask for help. If that's anybody in here today, I just want to encourage you to reach out. If there is a a spiritual issue in your life um, or there is a relational issue and you're just struggling to know what to do, um, I would love to walk alongside you. I'd love to hear what you're going through and pray with you. Our elders would would love to do that with you as well. Maybe if you're in a small group and you kind of just, you know, your heart beats a little bit faster when they ask for prayer requests and you're like, I don't know if I should share this. I don't know. I don't know how the group would receive this. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to humble yourself and do that. Even if it seems like a really huge, big deal, because it is a huge, big deal, um, God asks that we humble ourselves and that in the community of believers, uh, we want Living Stones to be, to be known as a community of believers where no judgment is cast, where there is no condemnation um, for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's word is very clear. There's no condemnation, all right? And so we want to be a place of grace and a place of forgiveness and a place where people can experience true healing, spiritual healing, as well as physical healing. Hmm. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, for equipped life. All scripture, everybody say all scripture. All scripture is God breathed. It's breathed out by God and it's useful for these four things. Teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That, there's a lot of useful things right there, isn't there? Why is it useful? Second half of the, of the sentence. So that the servant of God 
may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We want to be thoroughly equipped. So how many of you in here are fans of an of owner's manuals? Like you love owner's manuals. Zach, Lori, that's true. I could affirm that. All right. Most of us eh, aren't big fans of owner's manuals. Austin, above, I think above our microwave, above our stove in our house, there's a pile of manuals for like so many things. I've never opened them. I've never looked at them. She likes to keep them, you know, just in case. And I'm like, that's what Google's for, right? That's what YouTube's for. We have all these owner's manuals. And maybe you've heard the Bible described as your owner's manual. Well, for me, that's actually not like a great word for the Bible for me. Maybe it is for you. But I don't like owner's manuals, okay? What I like are guides or doing research on something and, and learning, okay? Um, so uh, when, I, when I went camping this last summer, uh, Owen and I had this idea to go Prius camping. We got a Prius and we found on YouTube, there's this whole community of people that like live in Priuses. And uh, it's true, you can kind of fit a twin size mattress in the back. And so we're like, oh, this is kind of cool. So we start researching it. We want to go on some camping trips that are further away. And we're like, hey, this will save us a little money in the Prius, uh, get better gas mileage. And so we outfitted our Prius on a budget to be a little camper, our stealth camper. And uh, it was so fun to learn and read about all the hacks that people had made who live in their Priuses. And we just took, you know, maybe 10% of what, um, what we were learning about and we applied it into our context and we had a ton of fun. And if I hadn't done that research, it would not, our experiences camping this last summer in the Prius would not have been that enjoyable. Whether it was like these, these screens that go over our windows so that we can have them open at night, but we're not gonna get eaten alive by bugs, but we can get air circulation, certain ways to hang lights, um, all these things we were learning and we were like soaking it up and it was so exciting. I wasn't reading an owner's manual in my car on my Prius, which I probably need to because there's some confusing things in there, right? But I was doing research for something that I was excited about and I was using other people's experiences to gain knowledge and get excited and to get passionate about this Prius stealth camping thing that we were going to do. And I don't know, maybe for you, like it is for me as I was preparing for this, when I think of God's word as like a research tool, man, how, how, can I, how can I approach this person in a situation that is sticky and hard, but I want to love them? Oh. Awesome. That's super helpful. Oh, man, Lord, like, I just feel ill-equipped Ill in this situation. When I view God's word as more of like, I'm going to learn some things that are going to like drastically improve my relationships with others under the heading of submitting to God, it becomes exciting and you get filled with passion and you begin talking to other people about what you're learning in God's word. Not like, hey, I'm on page 236 point B, uh, subheading, you know, three in my owner's manual, right? Um, but I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm applying these things and it's exciting. And that's what we should use God's word for. Renewed mind, a transformed heart and an equipped life. All right. Um, so has anybody in here ever 
wanted to look like you, look look a certain way, or feel like you're a part of a certain group, and so you uh, like get distressed jeans, so it looks like you work really hard, even though you bought them brand new, and they like have the rips and the tears in them, right? Or uh, I saw this great video on YouTube of this lady who was like, hey, you know, you want to look like you actually wear a cowboy hat and you get sweaty in it. Here's how to make a cowboy hat that's brand new look like you actually wear it and you're a cowboy, right? Or when I was a kid, I really got into skateboarding, okay? And <laughs> when uh, I was getting started, this was pre-YouTube days, right? When I was getting started in skateboarding, I read this little article in a magazine that was like, how to look like a skateboarder. And it was like, you know, get some sandpaper and scuff up the trucks here and, you know, like rub this on the curb so it looks like you can actually do tricks on it, right? Um, like scuff up the grip tape on the other side. Um, make it look like you actually know what you're doing. I'm not going to do anything. Um, that's called being a poser in the skateboard world, right? You pose as something that you're not, you not really are. You aren't really, right? And maybe you put yourself then in a situation like at a skate park or among your peers with kids who skateboard, and they can very easily quickly detect that you are not a real skateboarder, right? Now, that can also be a hurdle or a barrier to be like, I'm never going to go to the skate park. That was for me as a kid because I feel like I needed to prove myself to the skaters out there when most people are just excited that you show up in the first place. But I think us in the Christian life, we can feel like we need to look a certain way. Um, we feel like we need to act a certain way and get all of those behavioral things and the look of the Christian um, in line. When Jesus is saying that's not the case, uh, Jesus says, follow me. He says, come to me in the word, renew your mind, have a transformed life, begin to get equipped, and then you will begin to look like me. Sometimes we get those things so out of whack. You guys know what I'm, what I'm saying? We get those things so out of place. We need to look or act a certain way. When really, like one of the um, verses that I, that I read earlier about the Pharisees, these teachers of the law in Jesus' day, that they, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They're like really pretty like really all together on the outside, but inside they were dead. Hmm. There's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Many of you have probably heard it, and it says this. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Don't distress your Bible. People do sell them on Etsy. I looked this week. You can buy a distressed or a worn look Bible. So silly, Right? Buy it, get a new Bible, or maybe you find one at the thrift store. There's always free ones at the thrift store. Um, but read it. Spend time in it. Wear it out. Wear out the pages as you learn and grow and, and walk with the Lord for that equipped life, and renewed mind, and transformed heart. So what are, what are we going to do after today? Oh, what am I going to do to fight against that temptation to be more into the idea of reading the Bible than actually reading the Bible? What are some practical things that we can do um, that maybe we, as individuals or maybe as a small group, we want to commit to 
in 2024 to intentionally be in God's word. I'm going to give you a few things, okay? Super practical. Maybe when you saw, you saw when you came in, there was a Bible reading plan. It's called the five by five by five. It's five minutes a day. It's five days a week. And then it gives you five tools or ways to dig deeper in scripture. Folds open. And you can see in the, it's the New Testament. It's to read through the entire New Testament in a year. Just takes five minutes a day, five days a week. So even though, you know, it's January 14th, we can make up for some of that time. If you want to commit to do this with me and with some others in the church, I'd love for you to put that on your, on your welcome card and say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this, okay? Maybe you want to talk about it at, at small group today, or maybe you already have a Bible reading plan, and I'm saying that's so awesome to stick with that and to be intentional, to be in God's word every day, even if it is just five minutes. So grab a New Testament reading plan. You can do it, like it, like I said, at one year, like over the course of 52 weeks, or you can do it at your own pace. If you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this in one month. You know, I, I know I uh, have several friends who have committed to read the New Testament every single month of the year because they just want to know God. They want to know his word, and they want to have their life directed through the filter, through the lens of scripture. The second, which is up on our screen, is a Bible reading plan that's on the YouVersion Bible app. So you can download the app. I know a lot of you have it, but you can search for Read Through the New Testament, uh, which is a daily reading plan. Um, it will actually read it out loud for you too. So if you kind of just like to listen to it, um, that's a super helpful tool. Um, or if you want to do an entire, um, the entire Old and New Testament, all 66 books, you can search for Reading God's Story, the one-year Bible. And that is a, a, I've read a lot of great reviews on that. I know a bunch of people that are doing this one as well this year. Um, for those of you who really want to uh, go through both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then third, kind of a, a fun, simple one for today is I made a bunch of these scripture cards. All three of the verses that I shared today, they're on cardstock at the back tables. Just grab one of each, stick it um, on your rearview mirror or in your car or your mirror in your bathroom, and just commit to memorize one of these verses this week. Or maybe you want to memorize all three. Or maybe you have all these ones memorized and you're like, I'm going to pick a different one, write it on a three by five card or a sticky note and stick verses in spots um, where I'm going to see them, where I'm going to be reminded of them. I just <laughs> came to mind. Uh, I saw a video a couple weeks ago um, of a family that gathered for Thanksgiving <clears throat> and um, grandma and grandpa and her kids and the grandkids were all in the the dining room and she asks one of her sons to pray and he looks around the room and he sees all these verses and these like cute sayings on the wall like a bunch of scripture but then you know other things like you know god bless this home you know whatever all the, it's basically hobby lobby all over the wall right and uh so he for the prayer he just reads all the things on the wall and his mom has no clue that it's on the wall and he says and so, yeah, amen. And she goes, Jeremy, where'd you learn to pray like that? You know, so don't be like her and put these verses around and they get so used to them that you forget that they're even there. Okay, that's my encouragement for you with that one. So take those verses and, and uh, memorize them or read through them regularly and begin to saturate yourself with God's word. You guys feeling good about that?
All right. We're going to invite Michael up. Uh, he's going to close our time while he's going to share a song with us. It's called You've Already Won. And I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. Um, so much of it's filled with scripture, with promises of God. And, and how do we know the promises of God? Well, we read them. We sing them, right? And when we do that, I believe that God renews our mind and then he transforms our heart and he begins to equip us. He begins to give us these tools in our spiritual tool belt, so to speak, where we get in a situation where if I had a sword and a fish, I wouldn't, it wouldn't end well, right? But if I had this knife that's specifically designed to fillet that fish up, it's going to do what I need it to do. And I'm still going to have to learn and practice with it, right? Um, but God's word gives us the tools that we need to add them to our, our spiritual tool belt, so to speak. So I want you to just listen to the song as Michael leads us. Thank you. 